everybody. Welcome to the Hallmark Keys podcast. Uh, today, we have an interview with author Piper Hughley. And I had some audio problems. Uh, there's a few moments where I have a little bit of echoing. I tried to fix it as best I could, but I still thought it was worth publishing the interview because there's a lot of good stuff and it's a really uh, important book for Hallmark Publishing. So I hope you still enjoy it. And uh, so thanks so much. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Hallmarkies podcast. We are really excited to bring with you another Hallmark author today. We love talking with the authors. And today we're talking with author Piper Hughley, whose book Sweet Tea is coming out in Hallmark Publishing. And uh, Piper, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. So what we like to ask our authors is, uh, how did you get started uh, writing? I've been writing off and on ever since I was a little kid. This most recent on was when my son turned 10 and he didn't need me as much anymore. So I decided to go back to uh, writing and uh, yeah, I started taking up writing about history uh, this um, this last go round. I had been through a lot of uh, study I'm thinking about a lot of different things about history. So, uh, yeah, I, I, that's why I got started um, writing historical romance. And um, I, I, I started out writing um, about this small college town and um, the college that was there and writing the history of the college, um, knowing that in the modern day world of the college, it was in some kind of trouble and I wanted to uh, trace that back words in time um, so for uh, the world that uh, this Hallmark book is in there's always been this um, deeply ingrained uh, history. What was your first book that you ever had published? The first book that I published was a novella, was a novella called The Lawyer's Luck I published myself. Uh, I got a sense for a, a while that the things that I was writing about, that the history that I was writing about, um, traditional publishing didn't necessarily um, welcome it. <laughs> so when I got um, a little bit of money um, after the death of my mother, I decided to go ahead and self-publish that novella and then the subsequent novel, The Preacher's Promise, which establishes the beginnings of uh, Milford College and how it came to exist. So did you have a legal background that you, because I know she wrote about lawyers in a couple different ones. Uh, the lawyer's luck came about because um, the, I'd been putting uh, chapters of the preacher's promise out there um, in contests. One of them, a very high profile contest where I had made, I think, two cuts um, when Amazon used to have a contest uh, for breakthrough authors. And someone... Uh, in one of the comments, it turns out that it was uh, one of my competitors, but someone had said, um, it's not possible. It, the history doesn't exist. It's not possible for there to have been a black woman who graduated from college in 1866, which is who the heroine of the um, Preacher's Promise Preacher's Promise book was. And so the lawyer's luck came out of my sense of, yes, 
that is entirely historically accurate and let me write a novella about her parents <laughs> so the lawyer is her father and um how he comes to um uh, meet her mother and uh you know how the heroine comes to be born so no the lawyer's luck isn't out of uh, me having a legal background it's out of the sense of the early graduates of oberlin college and that sense of what they were permitted to do oberlin existed as this early place that took everybody didn't matter your race or gender um it took everybody in the early days to study college and that uh the profession of being a lawyer back in the 19th century was a lot more relaxed i was going to ask did they take the bar and stuff like that 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 didn't exist back then you read for the law and you traveled circuit so lawyers luck takes place in 1844 and so um lawrence that's the hero's name that's what he did um, and how he learned to be able to become a lawyer and uh, enter into his um, his first case, his more remarkable case uh, in terms of finding freedom for uh, really who ultimately becomes his wife and Amanda's mother um, because she was enslaved. So, yeah, he's one lawyer I've written about. And I also wrote about another lawyer. Um, um, in 1876 in my novella, The Swan, um, whereupon Liam, that author, is called upon to, again, it was this whole thing about where you, you apprenticed with uh, someone who was a lawyer and you read um, with and under that lawyer and uh, you learned by going and uh, writing circuit from various places where legal disputes were being decided in a certain area of the country. Um, like Abraham Lincoln is how he started out. Right. To, uh, that sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so on your website, you said that you want to feature African-American Christian characters. And I was wondering if you, do you feel like that's a sort of a hole in the, that there's not enough uh, books with particularly Christian African-American characters? Well, that's how I started out um, in terms of these stories um, that characters like uh, Lawrence, uh, who was someone who uh, was struggling with his faith initially, um, and Amanda, his daughter, in the wake of uh, her father's uh, demise um, also, Um, That's how uh, I started out. I I saw, as you're saying, kind of a hole in a Christian fiction world that of telling historical stories um, written by Black authors that really explored or sought to explore the faith of a people who were underneath uh, oppression, even though um, most of these stories are happening. Well, the, the founding of Milford College, of course, happens in the wake of the Civil War in 1866. They still had a lot of um, hurdles to overcome in terms of what they were permitted to do, what they weren't permitted to do, um, and how they got around those things in order to um, 
build up a historical institution that could last to the modern day. And it really is, like I say, my way of um, expressing my admiration and um, of uh, the ancestors in the past. What we have left to us today in the, you know, um, the existence of more than 100 uh, HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities, is a tribute to people who were determined to maintain these institutions across um, some very difficult times. And to me, the explanation for that was that they had faith, that they believed um, in a future and they believed uh, in their pro- in their projects and what they were doing. So that was the initial project. Well, would you consider yourself a pantser or a plotter when you write? I'm a plotster, just to be difficult. <laughs> a planster, whatever that is. Um, I, for a project, I like to write around in, in the initial idea for a couple of chapters, and then I'll plot the rest of it out. So it's a, it's a combination of things. <laughs> uh, so how is the quarantine been for you do you feel like it's been easier to write or harder to write in this last year i've had some pretty good success writing during it and i don't know if it's because i'm on on some level an introvert not sure um in, in terms of that but um being out of the classroom in terms of uh, what I what I do, what I do, you know, it's not a legal background. I'm a professor, but um, being out of the classroom and um, teaching online and all of that other kind of stuff really um, it hasn't affected me unduly. I have to say, that's good. That's very good. Yeah. So, how did you get approached by Hallmark? How did you end up working with Hallmark for Sweetie? Well, um, I think Stacy had been reading the Milford College series. Um, she knew of my work. We met in person, I believe the first time, just to check in with Stacy about that, but um, in person, the first time we met was at RWA in Denver, which was 2018. We had had some back and forth prior to that about some ideas. And one of my ideas um, had been uh, publishing more Milford College stories with Hallmark, um, historically speaking. But because when, when Hallmark Publishing first started, she put out in the, you know, the uh, it's not a call for papers. That's an academic thing. But her uh, her manuscript wish list. There we go. <laughs> I have to turn off the professor's side. <laughs> um, her wish list was either historical or um, contemporary. And I saw at that time on Hallmark they were still running the um, the loves movies, the Jeanette Oak uh, stories. So I thought, okay, well, maybe there is room for a historical story there. Um, but I think I just missed that boat in terms of that. And so she said, um, no, not historical, but contemporary. And then I'm like, well, 
I don't know if I really have anything. And then I thought of an idea and we had some correspondence on it, but it it just didn't, I think, come to fruition in a way that she found entirely satisfactory. So I dropped it and I thought, okay, well, that must not be meant to be. Um, <laughs> I mean, I just like, I'm, I was still very thoroughly in the vein of writing historically, not contemporary stuff. So mm-hmm. maybe that's not for me. So I left it off for a couple of years. And where I said, we met uh, in person in uh, Denver and uh, we're very cordial to one another, uh, of course. And then a couple of years ago, I saw on Facebook um, where Stacy had put up a post about she was really feeling some kind of way about not having diversity in the books that Hallmark Publishing was putting forward. And she, when I say feeling some kind of way, she was feeling despair about <laughs> the fact that she didn't seem to be getting submissions and uh, she wanted more of them. And so I saw her post and I was like, well, I had submitted something, but <laughs> it didn't seem like you wanted that, you know. So I had a little thought in my head. I said, aha, I have this old story, this old uh, modern-day Milford College story on my hard drive. I said, let me send that to her and see what she thinks about that. And so then she wanted it, so... <laughs> Nice. I had to write it <laughs> because yeah, it was fully formed as a story. It was like a five-page synopsis. What they tell you to do, um, or authors to do, if you have an idea and it's really tugging at you, but you're in the middle of something else, then kind of just write the synopsis out of it mm-hmm. and save it for some other time. Um, so yeah, it, it was there. It was all there. Pretty much. Yeah, I sent it to her and she was like, oh, yay, this is exactly what I was like. Okay, if I had just shown her that before. (laughs) (laughs) But it must be whatever it was meant to be. So, (laughs) So are any of the characters in Sweet Tea in the other um, Milford books? They're descendants. Okay. So, oh, right, right, right. Yes. The heroine is the three times great granddaughter of Virgil and Amanda, the founders of the college. And her grandmother, of course, that means she's the great granddaughter. Very cool. So, mm-hmm. so, did you base Milford, or at least originally, on a particular place? Not on a particular place, but I was inspired to create Milford from several different stories of the founding of HBCUs that I'd been studying and noticing and working at since I I teach. I have been teaching at various uh, HBCUs for the past now uh, 15 years. So, and, and they take, this was one of the things that inspired me about it. They take their history very seriously to the point where you can stop a student on the campus of an HBCU and they'll be able to run it down to you. As someone who went to large flagship schools, I thought that was pretty remarkable. Um, I, you know, I graduated from UCLA. I have no idea how it came to fruition. And, you know, it's just a big state school, you know, right. um, kind of thing. And that's not the case. They know the names of the founders. They know why. They know how it was funded and just all of that. At HBCUs, they have a Founders Day on the calendar 
which means classes are canceled for that day, but uh, there's uh, some kind of education that goes in that day, whether it's by having a what they call a convocation, where all of the students come together. There are skits that portray the founding of the college, um, all of that, um, or it could be some other type of uh, commemoration. But there is something. There is a Founders' Day holiday. Um, on the calendar. And of course, um, a lot of the HBCUs that exist today began as places where Black people could come to um, have training in the professions they were allowed, preaching for Black males, um, for Black churches, and teaching Black women um, because the proportions in the in after the Civil War is over of teacher to students, the ratios were way off. Uh, they there weren't enough teachers to begin with, but really, the South, whether you were a white or black student, uh, had a long way to go after the Civil War to build up their education systems. Once they had gotten education systems for white students, it was felt they didn't have the resources left over to develop them similarly for black students. So uh, a lot of what they called normal schools got built. Those were training uh, colleges for teachers, for black teachers to be able to teach black children because the um, the ratios in say 1890, you had one black teacher for every 93 black students. So it was almost like there was um, a rush on and for the longest time. If you were you were a black teacher, you needed two years of college and they would give you a teaching certificate. It was like that kind of um, uh, situation where they were pressed to get um, Black teachers out. And of course, ultimately, you know, having teachers that are less educated are not good for Black, for children either. Um, but uh, yeah, that was the situation for a very long time in terms of um, what a career that a young Black woman might opt for. Um, teaching or nursing, right? So that's how Milford came to be a teachers and preachers college. Um, Virgil was a preacher and uh, my fictitious heroine, Amanda, was a teacher. And so they were looking to turn out more people like them. Very good. That yes. interesting. Mm -hmm. So I enjoyed the book. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about what it's about, Sweet Tea? Well, uh, this three times great grandchild of theirs, um, Althea, has gone to the big city. Um, she's been in the big city for a very long time and has forgotten all of that history. Um, she is uh, someone who's very successful. She's become partner in a very influential intellectual property uh, firm, and uh, she's just gotten hit that uh, sort of uh, item off of her checklist and now she's just kind of lost in terms of her life and her life's work. Uh, something's going on with her grandmother, some dude uh, 
whom she doesn't know, wants to make a documentary uh, of her grandmother and publish her recipes. Recipes are intellectual property. And she's kind of alarmed that this guy has popped up and her grandmother is giggling on the phone and having a great time with this stranger. So she thinks she better go back home and come to try to figure out what's going on here and to make sure that her grandmother's um, intellectual property is protected. And uh, so she does that, and that's how Sweet Tea um, gets started. It's a story, um, I think a lot of Hallmark stories have that kind of going from the big city back to the small town. Um, but yeah, Althea is definitely in, in, in for a time of rediscovery of herself and who she is and what it is that she's lost um, while she's been away from home for so long. Um, And she's been away from home for a long time for reasons um, that are revealed in the story. Yeah, I noticed that Althea has three names in the book. Mm -hmm. And I was curious if you kind of used that as to show three different parts of her character or what was kind of your thought process behind that? Her path to discovery. Um, when she was younger and she was at home and she was anchored and firmly rooted, she was one person that, that was one name that she was. But when she comes away from Milford and is spending all of that time in the big city, uh, she becomes this other name, Allie, uh, that is, um, she, what she thinks of as an acceptable name a more something easier to say um there's a long history of that in the united states where uh if it's felt that someone has a multisyllabic or more difficult name to say you know that in order to make themselves um easier to get along with maybe easier to say that they shorten abbreviate uh change even in some ways their name to uh to fit in and uh when she's done that and she's become Allie she loses um uh, herself a, a part of herself in that process and so when she's able to return to Milford and um discover rediscover those home roots and rediscover more who she is she returns to uh who she was when she was young We'd like to take a second from this episode of the podcast to celebrate our sponsor of this episode, and that is the Hallmarkies Patreon. Do you love Hallmarkies podcast? Do you want an inside scoop into what happens on the podcast? Do you want early access to episodes and loads of cool perks? Now is the time to become a patron of Hallmarkies podcast. By becoming a patron, you get to access our patron Facebook group. You can request episodes or even be a guest on the podcast. And most importantly, any patron can join our monthly movie watch-alongs with stars like Paul Campbell, Natalie Hall, and more. It's as low as $2 a month to join in and become a special part of the Hallmarkies family. Please consider, and we will love you forever. Go to patreon.com slash hallmarkies. That's patreon.com slash hallmarkies. So Miss Ada, is she based on uh, anybody in particular? Yeah, I um, I based her on Edna Lewis, who is a very famous Southern cook um, in part. 
uh, part of what uh, triggered this particular story was that Edna Lewis published a cookbook with Scott Peacock, who is another famous Southern cook, but uh, they weren't related in any way. And uh, the cookbook itself is just grand collaboration between the two of them. But I just always had kind of wondered, did Edna Lewis not have any family that uh, she had chosen to pass her recipe legacy down to? Um, I think I also um, felt in part that um, it's important if you have a particular family favorite or something that people have um, to capture it. Um, Because if you don't capture uh, that recipe or that thing that was your favorite or whatever, it's gone. It's gone forever. And I, I learned that particular lesson at a rather young age when a great aunt of mine died and nobody, she even had three daughters, nobody bothered to get some of her most seminal recipes. Um, so to me, uh, thinking of it and thinking of Jack's project uh, in the sense of sweet tea is like thinking about a library burning down um, when an older person dies to say, did anybody get those recipes? Did they get those stories? Did they get that information? Um, All of that. So that's how I started first thinking about Edna Lewis um, and wondering if anyone in her family had gotten um, those recipes as Scott Peacock did, or did she collaborate with Scott Peacock because they, like my other cousins, weren't interested. Um, So that's what made me think about the story is like, what if you have uh, family members who aren't interested in your legacy? Yeah. Um, yeah. So how did you come up with all of the food, uh, the, the recipes, particularly I have never heard of a great pie in my life. <laughs> great pie is one of those things that carries through uh the milford series it's yeah it's uh, it's the um it's the pie that amanda makes for virgil that uh he begins to realize that she has um some nice qualities about her <laughs> um the, the story about how Amanda learned how to make a uh, great pie was that it was originally a, um, a um, Yankee thing from the, um, in New England. And uh, the woman who taught it to her was somebody who had been a bit of a foster mother to her. And she had had New England roots. And she taught, she taught Amanda when she was young how to make the great pie. And uh, anyone who spent time in the South, um, and this was something I learned when I moved South, um, knows that the sort of the kind of grapes that they have in the South are not the same as they have in New England. So she had to make the recipe, she had to adapt it for um, these uh, Southern grapes down here. Um, people know them as muscadines, um, which is a very large grape. It has a seed in it. Um, my husband just loves to eat them. Um, and it's, it's the kind of grape that you, you really can't buy in the grocery stores down here. You to get it from a wayside fruit stand in the country, or you have to go get them yourself. So 
uh, Amanda went through all of this labor and stuff to make Virgil this pie in The Preacher's Promise. And so for people who've read the Milford series know that this recipe had been handed down uh, in this family. And that, of course, Miss Ada knows how to make it, but Althea doesn't. And uh, so, yeah, there's this whole aspect of that being one of those things that she's about to lose or has lost. Um, yeah. Would you consider yourself a female? Yeah. <laughs> you like to cook? Yes, I do. I like to cook and I am very interested in um, food history. So I have been way before you in um, writing this book. So. Mm-hmm. One thing I noticed is that the intimacy was kept down, even for Hallmark standards. Uh, they didn't really even hardly hold hands or anything like that. Uh, and I was curious why you, was there a reason you wanted to go that route? Well, I did have other kisses and stuff, but they were taken out of the synopsis. Yeah. I also think that part of that, um, in terms of them, you know, holding hands on this other stuff, that um, given what has happened to Althea, she's still kind of wounded. And I think it's a wound that Jack understands um, in terms of uh, his approach to her. So I think that um, he's, he's aware, and I think it doesn't... Uh, take any of that to mean that she's any less interested. They did hold hands, though, in church, though. There is that scene where they hold hands in church, and it's a landmark kind of scene for the two of them. It was less of a, I would say, less of a romance, but it was still obviously there. But, I don't know, you were more focused on the on them growing as people. Yeah, I was. Um, and I think that because they are, like, Althea has wounds, the Jack understands them, and uh, he's not rushing around. I do very much think of the story as a beginning to what uh, is, what is going on between the two of them as a courtship. Um, a lot of my uh, stories do tend to focus on this notion of courtship, which is an old-fashioned notion in terms of the kinds of other romances that exist out there. But yeah, she's not too trusting in terms of just letting anybody in her uh, in her world. And so, and Jack, like I said, Jack understands that she has to be courted, and um, he's down for that. So, yeah. So Jack, when he gets the job working for Miss Ada, how long was he planning on being there as far as making the documentary? He wasn't planning on being there that long, but he just uh, fell in love with the place. You know, it's his Southern Treasures tour is is indeed a tour. It's meant that, you know, he's going from place to place, you know. He's kind of footloose and fancy free his money, so it's not like um, he has anything to get back to in particular or whatever. But, you know, a couple of days in terms of that. But he just came to love the place. And as, you know, Milford says, once, you, once you're there, you never want to leave. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, why would you <laughs> all that delicious food? 
So you have an interesting situation with Allie and Ralphia and uh, her getting partnership at the law firm that she's working at. And they're very underhanded about it. Mm -hmm. uh, that, um, I mean, she earned it. She deserved it. Mm -hmm. But they were giving it to her because they wanted her to handle a particular case. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What were you trying to say with that part of the story? Well, her um, experience with the firm is one of those reasons why I never desired or wanted to be in a corporate setting <laughs> um, myself. I've witnessed that um, in a lot of people in my life, my mother um, and other um other black people who are in a corporate circumstance where they're part of this like sort of chess game almost and um are used particularly for certain ends depending upon whatever um circumstance it is law firms banks whatever and um yeah, it's just like she has to have this realization of how she is in this chess game and to come to some understanding about whether or not it's okay to be uh, used that way. Um, a lot of people do. A lot of people accept it. You know, you have a job. You have, like for my mother, you have kids to feed. You have, uh, they have to go to college and all of this other kind of stuff. But towards the end of her career as an executive vice president, I, I knew she didn't like what she had to become and be. So if you notice with her, there is a lot of this whole aspect of her masking and pretending and portraying that at the beginning of the story, you know, it's it's one thing, but it becomes intolerable to her by the end of the story. Hmm. And it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a masking and it's a, a camouflage, whatever you want to call it, uh, that a lot of it, a lot of black people w would understand. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because even at the beginning, she starts out just saying, I, this is the goal. This was what I was supposed to be happy. Mm -hmm. Not happy. Why? And I think that's something a lot of people will be able yeah. to relate to. Well, even that part of the story was interesting. Um, it wasn't necessarily from my mother, but from a neighbor of ours um, who had made partner in his law firm. And my mother had passed him on the street one day and he just seemed glazed, his eyes seemed glazed over and he was totally out of it. And uh, at first my mother thought that this dude was ignoring her um, and didn't speak to her, whatever. So she was a little bit, you know, mad about it and went over to his wife and said, yeah, I saw Carl in downtown. I tried to speak to him, but he looks like, um, he's just completely out of it. He just didn't see me or something. And his wife just shook her head and said, yeah, he's been having quite a time adjusting to having made partner because once you have everything that you ever wanted, what else is there? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. there's that's what made me think of that. That's yeah. True. And I think a lot of people have sort of realized one of the, I mean, I guess good things about quarantine is a lot of people have realized that 
there's this other way of doing things that they yeah. never would have considered, right? Yeah. That yeah. Uh, that they could work from home, that they could, uh, you know, do a hybrid work schedule. It's just different things like that. And they're like, wow, I'm way happier. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in whatever <laughs> industry, it doesn't even have to be, yeah. you know, like all these blue collar, all of these, you know, places that are having a hard time keeping staffing and stuff like yeah. that. Because, yeah, people have had that realization. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And we've seen that here too. So uh, I think there's a lot of truth there in that. Uh, So, well, very good. Congratulations on the book. I really enjoyed it. And, uh, and uh, we'll have a link if people want to check it out uh, in the um, description. We have, we'll have an affiliate link if people want to pick up the book. Uh, but do you have a uh, social media or anything like that you'd like to share? Yes, I do. Uh, please uh, contact me. I have my, um, my website, which is being overhauled by the way, but it's piperhugley.com. Um, P I P E R H U G U L E Y.com. Uh, Facebook at Piper G Hugley. Um, Twitter at Piper Hugley and, uh, Instagram, which I'm getting up and running, which is Piper underscore Hugley. Right. We'll have that all in the description section so people can check that out as well. Yeah. And you can find me at Rachel's Reviews, all of our social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Rotten Tomatoes. And make sure you're following the podcast to Hallmarkies Pod and Hallmarkies Podcast, all of our social media. And if you're listening on iTunes, please leave us your ratings and reviews. And if you are listening on YouTube, please give this video a thumbs up, subscribe to the channel. We also have our patron group and merch store. Check that out. And uh, thanks so much, Piper. This was really fun to get to talk with you and about your book. And congratulations. Hope that you'll this will be the first of many for Homer Publishing. Thank you so much, Rachel. I appreciate that. Yeah. All right. We'll talk to you all later. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye.